0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Emily Metz, project coordinator for Project DAWN. Emily, hi. Hi, Greg. Nice to have you in.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So can you tell us just a little bit about Project DAWN?
2: Sure. So uh, Project DAWN stands for uh, Deaths Avoided with Naloxone. Uh, It began as a pilot project out of the Ohio Department of Health, and the first ever Project DAWN uh, in our state uh, started in Scioto County down in Portsmouth, Ohio. Uh, The program that I manage here at Metro Health Hospital in Cuyahoga County, we were the second program to start. Uh, And so Project Dawn, we are what's referred to as an uh, overdose education and naloxone distribution program. So what that means is that we provide access to naloxone, the antidote for any type of opioid overdose, to our community members. And we also train those community members on how to properly respond to an opiate overdose. And so we provide this medicine uh, in kits for free to our program participants so that we can help to uh, curb opioid overdose mortality in our community. We are one of, uh, fortunately, dozens of Project ON programs across our state, so if you are listening and you are actually not a Cuyahoga County uh, member, you can come to our program if you're out of county, but there are also um, other programs across the state, and so you can do a simple search for your local Project ON program by uh, Googling the Ohio Department of Health's Project ON website, and there there is a list of of the operating project on programs in our state
1: excellent so Emily how did you happen to get involved with program gone
2: well I uh, completed my master's of public health at Case Western uh, Reserve University and I studied um, um, mainly harm reduction while I was in school Um, harm reduction is um, it, it focuses on interventions which help to reduce the harmful consequences associated with drug use. And so Project On is a harm reduction program in that we hope to You know, curb opioid overdose mortality, which is the most harmful consequence, of course, associated um, with drug use. And so I happened to be studying um, harm reduction and wanted to dedicate my career to it. And at that time, um, our medical director of Cuyahoga County Project on Dr. Joan Papp was actually um, creating the program in our county. So I actually started out as a volunteer and became uh, the manager that year in November. And so um, it was really just um, very lucky, I, I think, that I was at the right place at the right time because, um, you know, this is such a, a needed um, community resource and I'm very proud to be a part of it.
1: So can you walk us through how this works? If I were to attend one of your sessions, you Uh, do these regularly scheduled sessions each week?
2: Yes. So um, we have a project on clinics. So um, how these work is it's on a walk-in basis. We have open clinics at three community locations currently in Cuyahoga County, one of which is at the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, another at the Free Medical Clinic of Greater Cleveland, and also at Uh, the Cleveland Department of Public Health's Thomas McCafferty Health Center. And so on certain days of the week at these um, clinics, we have open hours where anyone from the community can come, no appointment necessary. Um, and get their free naloxone kit. All in all, the process can take up to about 20 minutes um, where we uh, teach individuals about risk factors for overdose, how to recognize an overdose, and then, of course, most importantly, how to respond to an overdose. And so this is a prescription that we're providing to our patients. We provide the medicine and the kit on-site to the patients so they don't have to go to the pharmacy. We are a full operating clinic providing um, these kits to our patients. And so that's generally how it works. There are other locations where we do provide our kits here specifically in our county. Um, so we, we offer our kits to patients of our Metro Health emergency departments, um, which is a very important place because if you're coming in for an opiate overdose, um, you're more likely to experience an, an overdose in the future. And so we want you to go home with a Project On kit. We also have are um, kits available for individuals who are in county jail. They're at extremely high risk for opiate overdose um, when they leave jail because most likely they're not receiving, um, you know, drug treatment therapy. And so they're at extremely high risk for overdose and overdose death because they're more likely to have a relapse. We also um, see patients, specifically um, syringe exchange patients, alongside the syringe exchange um, mobile unit. And so that's a, a spot where it's not open to the community. It's just for our syringe exchange patients. But for the general um, community member, where would they go to get their own project on kit? It's to our walk-in clinics at the Board of Health, the Free Clinic, and McCafferty Health Center.
1: Okay. So back to administering it for, you know, just anybody that comes in and, and participates and goes through your program there. Do they have to learn any special skills such as CPR?
2: So um, our program, the the teaching um, that we offer includes um, trying to assess the signs and symptoms of the overdose, stimulating the individual, calling 911.
1: The signs, could you go into those?
2: Sure. The signs of an overdose. So let me first explain what is an actual opiate overdose. So what's really happening to the person In essence, um, there's an excess amount of drugs in their system, an excess amount of opioids. In simple terms, what's happening is because of that excess amount of opioids, their brain isn't able to communicate to them that they should be adequately breathing. And so an opioid overdose is a respiratory issue. The person's breathing slows down, they become unresponsive, and that slow breathing can last up to a couple hours. Now, the good news about that is there is time to intervene and to save somebody. It's not always up to a couple hours. It can be shortened, especially with something like a fentanyl overdose, which is a very, very strong opioid, up to 50 times stronger than heroin. So the training that we provide individuals is how to assess those signs and symptoms of an overdose. Is the person responsive? Are they breathing adequately? Um, Are they turning colors? Are they Pale? Are they blue, especially around the lips? Do they have a snoring or gurgling uh, noise that they're emitting? Which oftentimes family members believe the person is sleeping. And so they don't notice it or they let the person, quote, sleep it off. But when it's an opiate overdose, the person's not actually sleeping. They're, they're essentially gasping for air. And so those are the things we want to look out for. So if we suspect uh, that an overdose is occurring, we wanna try to stimulate the person. And so we teach individuals to do a sternal rub. It's very, very simple. You just get your um, hand into a fist and you rub vigorously on the sternum. It's very painful when you do that. So if your loved one was actually sleeping and, and was snoring, they would wake up from that, right? Um,
1: Usually. Usually, yes,
2: unless they're a very good sleeper. Um, In an opiate overdose, people usually don't wake up from some stimulation. And so if a person's not waking up from this, it tells us in two seconds whether this might potentially be an emergency or not. Mm -hmm. And so the next thing we want to do is always call 911. Um, It's critical even in situations where we do have our naloxone handy, which can save somebody's life because... Unfortunately, with any type of opioid overdose, we never know how many doses it will take to, to rescue somebody, to wake them up. And so we provide at least two doses of this intranasal um, naloxone in each individual's kit. But what if it's it takes three doses? What if it takes four doses? We always want the ambulance to be on their way as we're administering uh, life-saving interventions to the individual, should that medicine that you have at home not actually be enough. Secondly, even if we do revive somebody with our doses that we've received in our project on kit, we're actually not done helping the person because this medicine only lasts for 30 to 90 minutes. And that's critical to understand because it's only effective for 30 to 90 minutes. It wears off. However, the opioids are still in the person's system and they will come back onto the receptor in the brain. The person will get high again. They might also go right back into an overdose. We also don't know whether or not that's going to happen or not. It's much more likely with longer acting opioids like Oxycontin and methadone. Um, So we really want that individual to continue their care onto the hospital with the ambulance. And so those are two key critical reasons why we always, always want to call 911 in the event of an overdose. And so the next step that we want folks to do is to give rescue breaths.
1: How long do you wait between doses.
2: Sure. So um, we advise our patients that you want to wait um, no longer than two minutes between administering doses. So again, we never know how many doses it will take to revive someone, Um, but it takes about two minutes for it to become fully effective. So that's the point at which you know, okay, that wasn't enough. We need to keep giving naloxone should we have it. During that waiting period, however, we're doing Rescue breaths continuously to the individual and we teach folks how to do that. You put the person on their back if you can Tilt their head back lift up their chin You need to look in their mouth and make sure there's nothing in their mouth that would block their airway, such as vomit Food if so we scoop it out we get it out of their airway Pinch the nose and give them two good rescue breaths if we're alone if we don't have anybody to help the individual Um, however, if we have Um, Another person that can help us help the the, uh, overdose victim, we give rescue breaths continuously to to the overdose victim, one every five seconds. That's before we give the naloxone. So if I can go through the steps um, that we teach in our training. Certainly. Assess, Assess the signs and symptoms. Stimulate the person with a sternal rub. Call 911. Administer rescue breaths. Administer naloxone. Then after we administer naloxone, we continue back with giving rescue breaths. And if two minutes have passed and we don't see a response, we administer another dose and continue rescue breaths until either the ambulance gets there or they wake up. So um, another thing we always want people to understand is that if somebody is to be left alone, if the overdose victim has not awakened, even if we have to go answer the door for the ambulance and and we have to leave that person alone, we always want to put them in what we call the recovery position, which is just making sure the person is placed on their side. We don't want to leave somebody alone who's in an overdose state on their back because people often vomit during an overdose, and and they can choke on that. So we always want to make sure they're on their side. Should they vomit, it goes out onto the floor instead of into their lungs.
1: Okay. So um, you've distributed a lot of these kits since the program began? We have. Can you tell us a little bit about that and about how many lives have been saved?
2: Sure. So um, we have distributed at this point um, about Mm 3,800 kits um, since we started our program here in Cuyahoga County uh, in March of 2013. Each year we distribute um, many more kits than the previous year. And so All of these kits are distributed in in all those locations that I mentioned, at our walk-in clinics, um, alongside the syringe exchange program, in our emergency department, um, in the jail, at community distribution events. With regard to how many lives have been saved, that's a tricky question because we know only a conservative number. Um, the way that we find out whether a life has been saved with our kits really is when individuals come back to see us to get a refill, and so at this point we know about almost 500 um, reversals that have occurred um, because of uh, the use of our kits, which is an amazing number. But I, um, I think it's probably much more than that.
1: Yeah, one would one would think logically. Well, yeah, we'd hope sure. Um, and you mentioned earlier that the kits work on uh, fentanyl as well. Yes. Uh, but the Narcan, you know, since fentanyl is so much more powerful, 50 times more powerful than heroin, chances are you'll need multiple doses for that.
2: That can be the case. Um, yes, fentanyl is another opioid, just like heroin, just like Percocet, just like morphine, methadone. It is up to 50 times stronger uh, than heroin. And so many people are dying um, more recently of fentanyl-related overdose for a couple of reasons. Um, Mainly, these fentanyl overdoses are involving heroin. The fentanyl is being laced in our heroin, um, and that's really occurring down um, for the most part in Mexico, where the drug dealers are illicitly producing fentanyl, um, lacing it in their heroin, and so that comes up to Northeast Ohio and, and it's in our heroin supply. And so uh, heroin users aren't always aware that the heroin they're about to use has fentanyl in it. And so they might use the same dose that they used yesterday, um, thinking that they have the same drug in their hands. Um, but all too often, people die as a result because of how extremely potent um, this this drug is. And an It might be laced, the heroin might be laced with fentanyl, but it could also um, be pure fentanyl, which is, of course, even more dangerous. And so what that means in regards to overdose is that the overdose onset can be much quicker. So overdoses don't always occur immediately after somebody ingests a drug. It could actually be hours later. But with fentanyl-related overdoses, they tend to be, they tend to occur rather more quickly. So you hear a lot about um, unfortunately overdose victims who are found with, quote, the needle in their arm still. Um, those types of situations are um, when the, the individual injected the drug or used the drug and then immediately fell into an overdose. And so that can happen more often with fentanyl-related overdoses. So the overdose onset is more. Um, is quicker. The time we have to intervene and help somebody can be shortened as well. So people can die more quickly. And so our response needs to be um, swift. We, we never want to wait to call 911. We need to call immediately. And um, all too often, it also requires more naloxone in order to revive that individual just because of how strong this opioid is.
1: Um, So Emily, is there any concern that uh, the Narcan from Project Dawn kits being used by a Lazarus party?
2: Sure. So um, let me first define what people um, mean when they say a Lazarus party. Basically, what they're saying is that a drug user uh, will use as much drugs as possible in order to overdose um, just so that they can be revived um, by naloxone to reach the highest high and then be brought back. So uh, that is a myth um, that we have dispelled in um, the harm reduction and, and naloxone distribution community, um, and I think for the most part this myth is um, brought a- brought about really just because of misunderstanding. Um, let me first say that Project On Programs' our target population um, is. Uh, for the most part, um, individuals who use drugs themselves. We also want to reach third-party registrants, which means somebody who's not themselves at risk for overdose but could potentially witness one, which could be a family member, a friend. But the most likely individuals to witness an overdose are drug users themselves. They're often using in the presence of their friends or family members, other people. Um, And so we asked ourselves this question, um, do people abuse this medicine? Um, do they use more drugs just to be brought back? And we did research on this and found that that was actually not the case. In fact, individuals who are connected to Project On type programs often um, reduce their um, drug use um, and risky drug use behaviors. Um, and so I think the myth was really brought about um, by our police or maybe emergency responders who are are finding individuals um, who have maybe project on kits when they are called to an overdose scene and maybe might misunderstand what's going on there. We absolutely want our drug users to have these kits Um, and let's be honest, um, overdose happens because of the disease of opioid use disorder. An overdose is going to happen whether or not a Project Dawn kit is around. The only difference is whether somebody survives that overdose.
1: Okay, so now let's talk just a little bit about storage issues. There's um, some, I think, some misunderstanding out there in terms of the temperature extremes whereby it becomes ineffective. Can you speak to that?
2: Sure. So um, a lot of individuals often ask me, is this a good um, thing to keep in my car? And so um, I would not recommend that because of temperature control. You do want to keep it around room temperature. Now, if it freezes, you certainly can't use frozen naloxone in an emergency situation. Once the medicine melts, however, it still works. It's fine. We get worried, however, when it gets into the higher temperatures. So if the medicine gets to be somewhere around 85 degrees, um, we do worry about how that has affected the medicine. And so we advise our patients, if you believe that is the case, you want to come back and get a refill. Um, But again, if it freezes, it can't be used during used rather during an overdose situation, but it's still effective. You just want to make sure that you keep it in room temperature.
1: Okay. So with the exception of uh, extreme temperatures, you could drive around with it in your car, have it in your glove compartment, and you're probably going to be fine.
2: You're probably going to be fine. Um, the summertime, summertime, I think, not is, so much. is not so much, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, a lot of individuals keep it in their homes in a spot where everyone knows where the kid is this isn't something we want to hide from individuals this is an emergency tool that we all want to know where the kid is how to use it and part of the kit that i um, talk about here it not only contains uh, the medicine itself but it also contains um, an educational flip guide so that if you come to our program and you get this medicine you've received the training, but you can also go home, share the educational flip guide with your family members so that you can all review the information. Everybody's up to date, knows what to do, knows where the kid is and how to use it in order to save someone.
1: Okay. So in this day and age, privacy is very, very important to people on, you know, for many things and many reasons. So what's done with the personal information on the participants in the program, so the people that go through your class?
2: Sure. So um, because this is a prescription medicine, um, we do have to take some um, personal information, the patient's name, their date of birth, We do have um, a medical history questionnaire for our patients who are at risk. This helps us to um, better train the patient, better understand um, what their personal risk factors are. Um, So for instance, if somebody is in a detox or treatment program, we want to make sure that patient understands completely that that puts them at greater risk of overdose death. Should they have a relapse, they're at high risk um, for overdose and overdose death because they don't have a tolerance anymore. Um, so there, there are reasons why we do ask these medical history questions. Um, it is, uh, private confidential information, just as you would visit your doctor and that's all private information. It's the same here. It's all protected by HIPAA. Um, it is part of, um, the individual's metro health record because we are a metro health program. Um, at Project Dawn, they do become a MetroHealth patient. Again, it's all free. Um, for individuals who are what we call third-party registrants, um, family members, friends, maybe drug treatment counselors, um, it does um, state in their record that they, they are getting this as a third-party prescription, meaning they're not at risk of overdose, but they would like to have this medicine should they witness um, an overdose and, and want to use this tool to help save someone. Okay.
1: So Emily, this has been very, very informative, and I want to thank you. Is there uh, anything else that you'd like to share with the Cover Two Resources podcast listeners?
2: Yeah. So um, I I hope that we can help um, with this program, um, with your program, Greg, to to help reduce the stigma um, that many of us feel ourselves as family members or individuals with opioid use disorder. The stigma that um, our society puts on individuals with addiction, with this disease. Um, And I hope that individuals do not feel stigma when they come to our program. Um, We are here for the community and there should be no reason why anyone should fear coming um, to understand how to respond to an overdose um, and and get this medicine. We want everybody to have um, this life-saving tool. Um, I I'm so thankful to be able to serve um, my patients, but I do hear so many stories of, of the fear and stigma that people feel um, because of this disease. And I hope that collectively we can um, together help, help to break that down because I ultimately see it as a huge barrier uh, in people um, getting the help and the love they deserve from, from their community.
1: Well, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Greg. Great job. Um, so we've been visiting today with Emily Metz, program coordinator for Project Dawn at Metro Health Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover Two Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover Two Resources